Good morning, everybody. I'm Seth. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and I get to bring the word this morning. We are kind of in this transition period in this book, right, where Colossians 1 and 2 are a lot of it about the big picture, the what's been going on, what's going on, how Christ saves us, how God loves us, etc., etc. And then Colossians chapter 3 is kind of this transition where he's going, so what? What are you going to do about it? How, what difference does it make? How's it going to play out? How's it going to land? Right, talking about like the theories or the theologies are all good and fine, but how does this actually manifest and land in our day-to-day lives? That's really what Colossians 3 is all about. And if you're a guest with us today or if you've been here the first time or first couple of times, you kind of had this assumption that, you know, Christians or church is a place where you go and they say, you know, do more good stuff, do less bad stuff, be a better person, see you later, go home. You'd read this text and you'd go like, yep, they're right. That's what we, that's, I knew that's what they thought, you know, just be a better person, see you later. And that, and that if you read Colossians 3 out of context, you definitely would just read this as be a better person, go home, see you later. And I just want us all to kind of acknowledge if you're tempted to or prone to misinterpreting this text, that's what it's going to be. And so I want us to kind of put this in a broader or deeper context, right? I don't know if anybody here has an immunity problem or immunity disorder. You know, if you uh, have an organ donated or not donated, donated and then transplanted, not just having an organ donated, but if you, if you have, if you have a, an, an organ transplant, you know, your body tends to fight it off and so they put you on immunity suppressant drugs. So that way your, your white blood cells don't attack uh, the organ. Sometimes, you know, I have grew up in Arizona, I have really bad seasonal allergies, and it's my dad had them and I had them, or my dad told me when I was a kid, you know, like just so you know, you have allergies just like me, and there's a cure, and it's called dying, you know, so just like, just wait it out, it'll go away, you know, it's, you will grow out of this. Uh, at some point, all of a sudden, you'll grow out of this, it'll go away. And, and you know, now I take two of those, there's one, those 24 hour pills, you take an allergy, it works. 20 hours, I take those twice a day. So they're 12-hour pills. I take twice a day. I'm getting a lot better lately, so I'm on the up and up. But out, the frustrating thing about allergies, it's like your body is protecting you from something that's not a threat, and it's just like stupid. It's so annoying. Like you're, you know, you, you walk, especially in my old church, well, one of the things I'm really allergic to is olive trees. I'd walk up to stuff looking like I just got high as a kite in a parking lot, you know, like all, eyes all squinty, leaning back, trying not to let my nose drip down, like, hey guys, what's up, you know, and, and just feeling totally like why did I even show up today? I'm just going to have an allergy attack the whole time I'm here. This is totally worthless. And so, but allergies are actually you're an over-functioning immune system. You kind of kill everything. And some of you might have autoimmune disorders. You know, as many as like 5 to 10% of people have them in various ways. It's where your, your body's attacking stuff it doesn't need to attack. And so you have this chronic inflammation, pain, various stuff like arthritis, Crohn's disease, et cetera, et cetera. It, but these idea of like having white blood cells that are confused is a problem. Uh, you know, then there's underactive immunity problems, you know, where like you have HIV or something like that and your body doesn't attack anything and you just, the things grow and fester. But our immune systems are pretty powerful. You may not know this, this is going to freak all of you out if you don't know this, but you probably develop cancer two to five times a day. You probably have two to five cells in your body every day turn cancerous and your immune system kills it off successfully. 99.999% of the time. You've all probably had cancer a dozen times in the past couple of days, maybe a thousand times a month. You get cancer and your body kills it. So when people talk about getting cancer, what they mean is a cancer that tricked your immune system into thinking it wasn't cancer. That's what it really is. Think about all the pathogens you encounter, all the poisons you encounter, all the things that come around you, and you know, you're all still here, right? Our immune systems are pretty impressive. When Paul talks about us as a church being a body, there's this reality to bodies have immune systems, white blood cells that go and kill certain stuff and let other things live. 
And what Paul's getting at for us here is he's going, look, you are a new body. You are risen in Christ. You are a new self. And having white blood cells that are confused about which parts of me do I let live, which parts of me do I try to kill, is part of growing in Christian maturity. And a lot of what is getting at here is you all have, we all have, our church has what I'm calling, it's a new thing I just made up, spiritual autoimmune disorder. <laughs> Where there's just this ongoing tension or concern about is that the old me, is that the new me? Do I fan that into flame and let it run? Do I snuff it out? Right? Do I pour gas on it? Do I pinch off the wick? Which one is it? How do I discern what's the me, what's not me? How do I know which white blood cells to kill and not kill? And I was reading this past week about this new technology and these little nanoparticles that they'll now drop into people with um, autoimmune issues. And these little nanoparticles actually train your white blood cells to effectively locate and kill things it should be killing. And I, that's what this text is. It's Paul dropping nanobots into our system <laughs> saying, let me give you these contours about how to know what to kill and how what not to kill. Because here's what's at stake here. Here's what's at stake. Uh, John Owen, a Puritan theologian, said this. He said, be killing sin or it will be killing you. This isn't about being a good person, being a bad person. This is about thriving and living life as God designed it or it's about being oppressed by foreign entities that are destroying our body. Like, I don't have to convince you the way that sin overpromises and underdelivers and takes you places you didn't you thought you would never go. How unfettered engagement with your old self actually oppresses and hurts and harms not just you but others. That one of the main motives we have for fighting our sin is not just so that we can go congratulations I did it but because my friends and neighbors and family need me to. That if I'm going to effectively love and connect and support and engage I need to be putting off my old self and putting on my new self. I need to be have, sending my white blood cells out to kill certain parts of me. Right? There's this big thing in our culture moment all about authenticity, being the real me. But which one's the real you? Which one's the new self? Which one is... Because in the hearts of all of us, there's the me that's being renewed in the image of Jesus and there's the me that's my old self. And I really want to set free the real me and not crush it with white blood cells. And that's what Paul's going to give us resources to do here. So let me pray, and then we'll walk through this text. Jesus, help us see clearly the parts of us to fan into flame and the parts of us to snuff out. God, I ask that you would give us a vision for how to engage this, give us uh, a hope and a desire that we would become a transformed, transforming presence who loves people well um, by the power of your Spirit. God, I ask as we read these lists, that we wouldn't feel crushed beyond repair, but we'd feel corrected and disciplined like a good father disciplines their child. Amen. Amen. So Taylor and I went on a date the other week, which is pretty fun. We went to this place where they take, you know, dummies who can't paint and they all paint a picture together. You know, it's like, draw this line here, draw that line there. And it's remarkably patronizing. And, and like, it's, you know, I usually don't like being talked to like I'm in second grade, but in this case, I was like, you talk to me like I'm in first grade because I don't know, like draw this line. And they had like literally a big blue brush and a small black brush and they're like, now grab the big blue brush. And I'm like, I got it. Now dip it in the water, dip it in the water. And you paint the line. But it was like this impressionist painting. We did like 
uh, it was like a sun setting and palm trees and things like that. And it looked not bad, and I didn't know what I was doing. And so it was called Pino's Palette, I think, on Santan. It was a great experience. And we had a fun time. But this kind of impressionist painting thing, the closer you get, the worse it looks because it's like dots, you know, and, and squiggles, and it looks kindergartenish. And so here's a picture of an impressionist. Uh, so I showed this to Taylor after we went on our thing, and she's like, did you do another one of those classes without me? And I was like... Thanks, because this is the best brushstroke strokes in the whole world. I don't know if Kimbe told what that is so far. No. Well, go ahead and zoom out. There you go. There's a there's a famous painting, right? Impressionism, right? That's not what I did, but you think about this Van Gogh. This like this uh, when you zoom way in, you miss the whole point, right? You got to look back, see the big picture, see this painting. And what Paul's giving us here with this Colossians chapter three is he's giving us an impressionist painting of two different types of people. He's not saying, here's the list of all the sins and here's the list of all the good qualities and you like get your spreadsheet out and make sure to go to town on these things. What he's saying is, I'm painting you a picture of this type of person and I'm painting you a picture of this type of person. This type of person, put them off. This type of person, put them on. It's kind of like, I think like if I just like tomorrow like uprooted and moved to Japan, right? There, there'd be certain parts of me that are me that... Uh, would stay me, and there's certain parts of me that I would immediately begin to change in order to be socialized in a new context, right? And some of that would be like clothes, you know, uh, ways we talk, connecting with things, patterns, rhythms. Like you're a, an entirely new sociological context would require some type of socialization and change. And what Paul's getting at is you've all been socialized into this type of way of being, this kingdom of darkness, this area of being, this realm of not God. And now I'm going to give you a picture to how to be socialized into the kingdom of God and saying this is the type, this is how we do things here. People like us do things like this. People like us don't do things like that. You live here now. You're a citizen of heaven. So start acting like this and not like this. And so what we get here is these two sets of three lists. And the first set is describing here's what the old person looks like, just to be clear. If you're going, is that the old me? Is that the new me? That's the old me. Do everything you can to snuff this out. The other piece we're going to see is this painting of, a, of the new me, the, the person who's being renewed in the image of creator. And go and check that out. And so we're going to check this out here. So the first thing is we get the first set, which is things to kill. If we're kind of developing our white blood cells here, these are all things that when you see them, you snuff them. When you see them, you eat them. You, you destroy these things. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. The first list here is all related to sex. Sexual immorality, that word there is porneia. It's like a junk drawer term. Kind of like you have a junk drawer in your house. You open it up. You don't, like, there's places where things go, and there's this drawer that you're like, I'm not sure where this, any of this goes. It goes there. Pornea means all sexual encounters that are not between a husband and wife mutually edifying in marriage. Right, so it's kind of like here's the bullseye. Everything else is pornea. Right, here's what the standard is. So put to death any sexual morality. Impurity, that's mixed motive, kind of using manipulating. Passion, that's impulsiveness. Evil desire, wanting things God doesn't want. And covetousness, wanting what's not yours. From time to time, we'll go to lunch here, like at a, at a fun place, and we'll all like order food, and someone will bring out their food, and everyone will go, I should have ordered that. <laughs> why, why did I order this salad when I could have had that cheese-covered deep-fried burrito, right? That's covered, like, I want what he's having, not what I'm having. That's what Paul's saying. This is, you know, wanting someone else's wife or wanting someone else's life or wanting someone else's allotment or this, this jealousy, the desire, covetousness, um, which is idolatry. And the reason he calls it idolatry, so idolatry is worshiping a false god, right? Put no other gods before me. Idolatry is putting another god before him. 
It makes sense and it's normal and it's rational that in a world where God creates all things, but the apex, the pinnacle, the peak of creation is humanity, that they are very good, that they're made in God's image. And so it makes sense that if you're not going to worship God, you're going to somehow bow at the altar of humans, in particular the consumption of humans, in particular using humans to gratify your own desires. And so it's not just sexual sin, it's idolatry. It's putting things up and above the Lord. Paul's saying all these things, this kind of first list, they all kind of go together because they all have to do with using people to scratch my itch or dehumanizing people into some type of object that I consume or thing that I think through. Like you think about even like some of like the, the slang words that people use to describe uh, the opposite sex from time to time, right? Oh, they look like a snack. <laughs> like we're taking someone made in the image of God, divine, holy, representative, and going lesser than, lower than, you exist to meet my needs. So the first list is all about sex. The second list we got here is all about rage. I'm calling it rage, which is like this internal clamoring about, um, vibrating with frustration, shaking. Um, in these you once walked when you were living in them, verse 8, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk. Obscene talk um, being connected to slander is mostly, you know, like this uh, gossiping maliciously about other people's like sexual adventures, most likely. It's storytelling. It's uh, back-in-my-day type stuff. It's that sharing of things. Um, anger, we know that not all anger is bad. Anger is like a, a function of seeing injustice. But this list together is, again, painting a picture of the type of person who's just mad at those people out there. Like modern examples of this would be like bumper stickers that say things like, let's go, Brandon, or not my president. It's just a self-righteous disposition that if all those dummies out there thought more like me, the world would be a better place. Those people, them. Remember, like, you know, trick-or-treating on Halloween at some point, which if that's offensive to you, I'm sorry, but I, I trick-or-treated on Halloween with, with my kid, obviously. And, you know, someone says, you know, I'm glad we're all out here. You know, they want to keep us apart. I'm like, oh, wow, who's they? Oh, you know who it is. You know what I'm like? Those people, them, though. You know, it's just an angry disposition to the people out there. All right, this is a problem, and this is on the list, because like the first one is using people to gratify my desires. This is a disposition of anger that's going, other people are getting in the way of my desires. I would be getting what I want, but them. Those people. Clamoring about, you know, muttering, chatting, moaning about stuff. You know, things were a lot worse in the first century than they are now. Just to be clear, you look at any metric, any data, anything like that. I'm not saying there's things to be sad about or frustrated about, but I am saying we can't look at this list and be like, well, that doesn't apply to my situation. Paul never had to pay $5 for gas. That's the old you. That's just my personality. That's your old personality. It's not you anymore. Stop being who you're not. 
Do not lie to one another, misrepresenting the truth. Lying is manipulating because you're going, I'm going to convince you of something false. So again, I'm going to use you. That has to do with the anger again. You're not doing what I want, so I'm going to lie to you to make you function like I want you to function. Uh, Lying is always serving an agenda of some sort. Either I want you to think or believe something or do something, but it all falls on that list. And the the third thing we see here is tribe. So we've got sex, rage, and tribe. Verse 11, here there's not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. You used to find your identity and how you're different than other people, not anymore. You used to find your sense of self in your tribe, in your connection, you know, Jew and Greek, that's to do with like your religious or ethnic uh, bringing up, circumcised or uncircumcised, how good or quality your family is. You know, if you were, you were circumcised, that meant your parents were kind of walking the straight and narrow when you were at least a kid, so you kind of were likely in a, a household that was doing things right. Uncircumcised was I grew up in the wrong house, in the wrong place, doing the wrong stuff. Um, so don't find it in either of those things. Barbarian, silly, and slave. Free, talking about economic, socioeconomic position, um, how high you rank on the social totem pole, perceived so-called. Um, hey, you don't, that's not you anymore. That's less important about who you are. That's not your identity anymore. I think Christians all the time try, are trying to find their identity in how they're different than other Christians. They're trying to find their identity in how they're different than other people. It's kind of ongoing self-branding project of trying to figure out who I am mostly means me trying to figure out who I'm not. It's called the negative identity. It's like you think about back in the day when you take a picture and the negatives would come out and you look at it, it's kind of this black and white kind of unclear thing that's going on. And it's not until it's developed you actually see what it is. Right? Most Christians, all, a lot of us, all we have are the negatives. <laughs> I know what I don't want to be. And it's like him or like her or like them or like those people. And that's honestly how I kind of started being a pastor, if I'm going to be honest with you. I sat under a lot of really boring, bad preaching. And I was like, well... I don't know what I want to be, but I get better than that, you know. <laughs> uh, some of you are like, not much, you know, but, you know, <laughs> but like, you know, we, we, we tend to like be reactive. Like even when I was a freshman in college, I had a roommate who played too much video games and like ate Taco Bell in his bed. And so I never ate Taco Bell and played video games. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to be not that. I don't, I don't know what I want to be, but the opposite of that guy. And, and we don't find our identity in difference. That's the whole point is God made you and he's building us into a people, and you don't need to do this. And so all these things we're looking at, we need to stop acting like that. We're wearing clothes that don't belong to us. Makes me think when I graduated from ASU, I, you know, you have to get the undergrad um, gown thing, you know, the really flattering kind of flowy thing, you know, and you have to get the gown. I don't want to buy a gown because they're like 70 bucks. And I'm like, they already took like $100,000 from me. Why do they want another 70 bucks? And so, so I actually borrowed someone's gown and they're like, it's a master's degree gown. You can't wear it. I'm like, I don't care. And I'm going, there's like 150 million people walking across that stage. Nobody cares. So I wore the master's degree gown uh, to my undergrad graduation. And I just kind of, anyway, nobody noticed or cared. But a couple people thought we were really offended, right? Like, so when we act like the, this list, sorry, the AC keeps blowing my picture. When we're this like the sex, rage, and tribe thing, when that's us, we're like wearing clothes that don't belong to us that we don't belong in. It's not supposed to be that way. That's not you being you. That's you being the old you. And I want us to just kind of come to grips with that, that you're not being yourself. That's not your personality. That's unrepentance, and you have the resources not to do that anymore. We don't have to be that way. Conversely, remember when I graduated um, from my most recent degree, I was really excited because it was my final degree. You know, it was a 
a terminal degree, they call it, which, meant, meant, which I thought meant like, I'm going to be here till I die, you know, but no, it was meant terminal, like this is a, you're done being in school, terminal degree, and you know, I, I actually got the right gown this time, because like this is the last time I'm going to do it, and there's like this moment, so I went to this Presbyterian school, I don't know if any of you guys have been to like a Presbyterian school graduation, but it's like in the planning meeting, they're like, how interesting should we be, and they're like, none, that's how, and what are they going to do, leave? They got to wait for their certificate, you know? So you're sitting there trapped and it's hot and this guy's preaching a 50-minute sermon at my graduation. And, but then like at the end, there's a moment you walk up and they put the hood on you and it's like, ah, it's done, it's over. The, the clothes fit. This is who I, like, I'm done with this. I'm not a student anymore. I'm a, I'm a graduate now. Like my, it's the, the clothing represents the conveyance of like status change. That, that's really what the metaphor here is. Put on, put off. It could be translated, get dressed in. Like, dress up in a way that matches your reality. That I wait all this time, I get the hood put on me, and it's like, I'm different now. I'm not a student. That's over. I'm officially a non-student. When Paul says, put these things on, that's what he's getting at. He's like, dress like the person you are. You're not a student. Wear the hood thing. (laughs) Or if you got a master's degree, wear the weird, long, like, flowy thing that goes off your elbows. I don't know why they do that, you know, but... (laughs) put it on. And so when, when, when Paul's saying like, hey, put this off, put this on, he's not saying be a different person. He's saying dress like who you are, act like who you are. So here's the positive one. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. See, the thing with like putting the clothes on, right, when you, when you like introduce yourself as a graduate or you have a certificate on your wall, putting the certificate up doesn't change your status. The status has already changed. That's why like records and accounting have all like the, all your stuff that's really there. That's why you got to get your transcripts when you want to do stuff, right? Putting it up on the wall, wearing the hood doesn't actually make it, but it symbolizes it. When Paul says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, he's not saying in order to become holy, in order to become beloved, in order to become chosen, do this stuff. He's going, you are chosen, you are holy, you are loved. Now put on the outfit that fits. We're not trying to earn something. We're trying to uh, represent something. We're not trying to earn a status. We're saying, I have a status. I'm going to act like the status that I have. You don't need to be doing this anymore. Jesus has loved you. You are beloved. You are chosen. You are holy. So live like this. And so we get three things on this list. The first one I'm summarizing as kindness. The first list is kindness in the second set. Um, compassionate hearts, suffering with people, feeling their pain. Kindness, which is not just niceties, cliches, throwing stuff at people, but it's actually like regard, um, consideration, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if each one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. It means absorbing the cost, bearing with, considering other people's perspectives, showing up. You know, Jesus models this for us in the incarnation right, showing up, considering what it's like, living in their experience. This is like the whole walk a mile in their shoes type exhortation. Think about what it's like to be them. Compassionate hearts, bearing with one another, forgiving, recognizing our own need for forgiveness. This is like the kindness list. It's like be, be this type of person, be connected to this type of person. The question I ask us as a church is, do Christians have a reputation for kindness, having compassionate hearts? Patience, meekness. Patience is hard. Because most time I experience impatience, I'm experiencing preoccupation, right? Parenting is easy when you don't have an agenda and nowhere to be. But if you have somewhere to be and an agenda, parenting is really annoying because the kids have different agendas and different desires to be places. It's even sometimes like here at the church, I'll be talking to someone, my son will run up, you know, and all of a sudden I have two two agendas, right? Talk to the person, be a good dad. And it's like, "Eh." so I get, one of them gets impatience, right? Because I give one to the other thing. And part of like the fruit of patience is 
like putting to death that preoccupation and being able to be connected and close and not having mixed motives and not having mixed goals but being able to just be where God has sent us and so be patient. We don't have reputation of being patient, kind people. So again, one of the motives of putting off and putting on, of getting our white blood cells tuned to kill the right stuff is for the sake of our neighbors who think Christianity is a bunch of bunk garbage because they see a bunch of Christians being unkind, impatient, anger, clamoring, slandering, things like that. That we want to honor the Lord and follow him, but we also just want to represent him well. We want people to get a real experience of what he's like. Second thing we get on this list is love. This is like the, not really a list, this is the main thing. Verse 14, and above all these things put on love, which binds things, everything together in perfect harmony. You know, I'm a big uh, Costco guy, and so when the things change at Costco, that's like how I know culture's on the move. That's kind of, I'm very f- on the front edge of these things. Um, but, you know, at, you go to Costco, and, you know, three years ago, there was no collagen. Now you go to Costco, and there's collagen, floor to ceiling, 17 options, you know, this collagen, that collagen. I'm like, I don't know what collagen is, you know, just, and I'm, I'm like a, by skept- nature, like skeptical person, you know, like, I don't know what collagen is, but it sounds like expensive placebo effect to me, you know, but who knows. But the, so I just, you know, coll- what's this collagen stuff? I don't know what it is. I'm not going to ask someone who knows more than me. I'm just going to not buy it. That's my flinch on those things. So, uh, but something changed. I started paying attention to collagen a lot, right? I got a trigger, started smoking brisket. You got to know if you if you're smoking brisket, you know about collagen. That's why your brisket's bad. So, there you go. That the that the the collagen is what holds together the fibers in in the muscle and in the brisket. And the reason you smoke a brisket low and slow for about 12 to 18 hours is because at about 180 above 180 degrees, the collagen starts to break down and it turns gelatinous, and so it actually leads to the beef tasting moist, even though it may or may not be semi-drying out and it leads to the ability especially once you hit it about 203 204 degrees for four or five hours you can just pick up the brisket and go like this and it pulls apart like fresh chewing gum right <laughs> i got a new hobby it's smoking brisket right so the <laughs> the but the collagen the collagen has to break down for the brisket to get tender right you go to some place the brisket's dry you can tell them there's too much collagen here you know you, Love binds it all together, right? Love is like collagen. <laughs> Most, I mean to say this, that you can have a bunch of people who like have a handful of good characteristics, but if you don't have love holding it all together, it's just a disconnected body. That, this, that we shouldn't read this list and just think, how, is, how are you going to do this? How are you going to do this? But this is us. We are the body. We're the body being held together by something, and that something is love. Now, love here could be, like, best understood as, like, warm, affectionate regard that leads to action. Warm, affectionate regard that leads to action. That there's genuine affection, consideration, desire to know, curiosity that leads to acting on behalf of someone else's best interests. Like, love can create conflict when you're acting on behalf of someone's best interests. But it always is like this warmth and affectionate. Like it's, it's kind of like what hospitality feels like is love. And I don't mean just hospitality, like welcoming people into your house. But I mean hospitality, like welcoming people into like your social, emotional space. Welcoming them, them in, not literally, but metaphorically. That love holds all of this together. If we're going to be a body of Christ, if we're going to be the body of Christ, uh, we got to do this. And, you know, not to just beat this 
brisket metaphor death, but I'm going to a little bit, that when it gets too hot for too long, like a lot of the reason why so many of us have so much trouble really warmly regarding having affection for others is it's just been a long history of suffering that's not been processed or repaired. It just, it gets too hard to hold together and we fall apart and I can't, keeping connected is just too much work and I might get hurt again and, I, and it's already been wounded once and why would I keep? And we have to call it what it is and say unlovingness, not being the type of person who holds it together, like that's the old me. That who I am in Christ is warm, affectionate, regarding of other people. And I need to do the work either through like processing it with a counselor, therapist, community group, small group, prayer, the Lord, whatever it is. I got to lean into my new identity. I got to put on love. This is not something like a, and you know, sit back and do nothing and maybe one day God will make you loving. That's not how that works. <laughs> it's put it off. Do this. Work at it. You know, grace is opposed to earning, not to effort, and we can do these things. So love, hold it all together. We'll never eat brisket again the same. You're wrong for that. And the third list we got here is gratitude, thankfulness. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Gratitude. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your heart to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Thankfulness, thankfulness, thankfulness. That's how Paul ends this section. Gratitude, gratitude, gratitude. Appreciation, appreciation, appreciation. That gratitude and thankfulness are really like the means that we like fan the flame of uh, affection for God in, into fire. That we, we do these things. And, and I just want to say like teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. That's why we have men's groups and women's groups and RCs, small groups because teaching and admonishing one another obviously right now I'm teaching and admonishing you all but the one another happens in circles not in rows. That's a huge part of our ministry here like getting connected, getting known, taking the Start Here class, going to Rooted, getting plugged in. If you're in high school, getting in middle school, going to students on Wednesday night, getting in a group, getting a circle, this building one another up in love, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Some of you might be like the I don't like singing in church type people. I want to say that's the old you. The new you likes it. <laughs> you may have to like sell yourself a little bit, right? But we're singing praise to the Lord. We're, and I'm not just singing to each other. We're not just singing to him. We're singing to each other. We're building each other up. That this is part of the means that God has ordained that we grow in gratitude is by singing and admonishing and encouraging one another. And then lastly, here's the last point I'm going to make. I know that was redundant. Lastly, the last point. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. This is Paul's warning to us, ending the section. Whether you're going to put things on, whether you're going to put things off, whether you're working on getting rid of the anger and clamor, whether you're working on getting rid of the sexual morality, whether you're getting, uh, leaning into the singing and thanksgiving or the love or the kindness, whatever you do, whatever you're doing in this previous list, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. What he's getting at here is do not do any of these things to try to get into the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do not try to do any of these things as a means by which you might earn God's favor. That's not how this works. About three years ago, I was buying a car from this guy named Mike. He's a good guy. Uh, but I, you know, a trigger for me is salespeople, right? Because I'm always doing the can I trust you 
or not trust you? Are you for me? Are you against me? Are you trying to pull the wool over my eyes? Are you trying to take advantage of me? You know, so I, I tend to walk into these spaces with, a little, with my guard way up hostile, with hostility in my heart. Like, we'll see how this is going to go. Because I always feel like someone's going to lose here and it's not me. That's how I approach the sales experience, which, uh, you know, I'm working on. That's part of my... Um, Malice, right? That's on verse 8, right? I, I read the whole list and I'm like, I shouldn't even be preaching this text. Everything on here uh, gets me. Malice, right? I come and I, I'm, and uh, so he's showing me, he has, you know, he's sitting at his table. He's got his uh, screen up, talking about a car, going back and forth. And it's kind of like this, we're playing poker, you know, like, you know. And then he eventually asks me my name and he goes, Trout. Is that Trout? Like Ken Trout? Ken's my Ken Trout's my grandpa. Ken Trout? It's like, yeah, that's my grandpa. And he's like, are you Jay's son or Ken's son? That's my uncle and my dad. It's like, Jay. And he goes, what? And his whole, whole disposition changed. He light, the mood lightened up. He calls his brother. like, yeah, I got Jay Trout's son here buying a car. You'll never guess. He like turned the screen on his computer around. He's like, here's exactly what my margins are. Here's what I make it. Here's what I need to make. Here's, the, here's the, what they cost me. Here's the market. And he just like went full transparency. And was like, here's what I'm willing to do for you. And all of a sudden, it was like he found out my name. And the anxiety tension of the encounter just went. And all of a sudden, it wasn't me versus him. But it was us together working on something. Right? When you experience a salesperson that's more like an ally than someone who's like trying to get you, that's like, that's ideal. And I think the healthiest of sales encounters are always that, right? Those of you who are salespeople, that's how you should probably be doing that. You're, you're, offering, solu- you're offering solutions to people who have needs, right? That's that, there you go. Um, so, but just learning my name changed dramatically the feel of working through the issue the solution. And if this is what it means to be in Jesus' name, that we approach the Father in the name of Jesus, meaning we're covered in the blood of the Lamb, meaning we're chosen, holy, beloved, adopted. And he goes, oh, you're in Christ? Let's work on this together. There's no prove it. There's no earn it. There's no make it happen. There's no do better or else. There's no next week by this time. If these metrics don't change, you're out. It's, hey, we're in this together working on this with you. And if you try to like put off the things on this list or put on the things on this list, trying to earn God's favor or approval, you will be chronically, religiously anxious, anal, and uptight. And if you succeed, you'll become legalistic, smug, smug, and judgmental. And if you fail, you'll be depressed, desolate, and defeated. But when you're in Jesus' name, when you know him, when you know he knows you, when you're loved, when you're connected, when you have a history, when he's provided for all your needs, then you can try to work on these things and it's not an anxious experience, but it's a joyful experience. And the Father comes alongside, he sends a spirit, the helper, the one who comes alongside and says, let's make this happen together, not shape up or ship out. And so we as a church, if we want to be fruit that tastes good to our friends, family, and neighbors, that we can be evidence of the grace of the Lord Jesus working in and through us in a variety of ways. If we want to be fresh wine that provides for the thirst of our friends and neighbors, we have to do it in Jesus' name. Otherwise, there's just no point at all. So we're going to sing this song right now uh, called New Wine, and it's all about how God makes new wine out of us and how nobody wants to be, you know, bad wine, right? But the, there's kind of an intensity to the song, you know, in the crushing. I mean, wine, wine making is kind of uh, violent and then it takes time, right? You crush the wine and you crush the grapes and it sits and, and that's what we're asking God to do for us.
God, help us put off and put on. Help our white blood cells get finely tuned and kill the right stuff and let the other stuff live. That's what we're asking for. That our body, Redemption Gateway, we have spiritual autoimmune disorder and Paul is depositing to us these nanoparticles, helping us fine-tune our white blood cells and that's part of the crushing and that's the winemaking. That's what we're gonna ask him to do. So let me pray and then we're gonna stand and sing. Jesus, I ask that you would help us see your instruction to us not as something that's meant to crush us or destroy us, but something that you're giving to us uh, as a vision for how we might live more fully into the kingdom. God, I pray that we'd be sober and seeing the threat of sinfulness uh, that's unaddressed. And God, I pray specifically for the folks in this room who uh, might see this list of things and just are committed to trying harder this time. And God, I ask instead of being committed to trying harder this time that we would become more dependent, that we, in your name, strive to be who you're calling us to be. Not because we're trying to earn anything or prove anything, but because we're trying to live as you call us to live. God, as we sing, I ask your spirit would come in power and move and shape our hearts. Amen.